hear me, give me the words to say, crack my mouth and everyone else's ears. I want to tell you guys I'm about to cry. Um, that's okay. Recording's fine. Uh, I recognize so many faces and maybe it's just dumb luck um, that everybody just knows about this meeting that I know, but I got to feel, I got to tell you, I feel really supported and I feel really loved. And uh, I know this isn't about me. Uh, this is about God and what he's done for me. And I know applause aren't for me really. They're just applause for all the miracles God's done in my life, but I feel really loved. <laughs> so if that's just a byproduct of the program, well, um, then thank you. And uh, um, so uh, let's just talk about what I was like and what I'm like, uh, you know, what happened and what I'm like now. And um, so I'm from the Midwest, um, kind of stereotypical Midwestern upbringing. Um, when I was literally doing a trial run for this, which sounds so Alanonic to me, um, you know, I, a lot of, I guess when I think about a lot of the stories you hear in the rooms, um, uh, I didn't necessarily have, um, most of the alcoholics of my family of origin came from my mother's side of the family. It's one of those families where it's more noteworthy when someone's not an alcoholic, um, than when it is. And uh, my mom, uh, she's passed on now. And, uh, you know, the, the big book says we only tell stories that we think people would be okay with. And I think she'd be absolutely okay with this. Um, she was an Al-Anon, uh, like since before I was born, you know? <laughs> um, and so, um, uh, and one of the suggestions she got uh, was to just avoid her family of origin completely. And, um, although I would never lay that down as a blanket rule for, for everyone. Um, I, it had its perks as I was telling someone earlier. Um, just, a, just a lot of, um, you know, a lot of, you know, I've never, um, DFS was never in my home. Um, you know, I never saw anyone do drugs until I was an adult. I remember the first time I saw someone drunk. Um, I was a teenager. Um, and it was, we were visiting extended relatives and, um, the man was just acting very weird. And my mom came and got me and we left. And when we got to the car, I was like, what was wrong with that man? And she's like, oh, he was drunk. You know, I really, I hadn't even seen a drunk person. Um, so, and it, like I said, it just, um, I, you know, we always had, a, we always had enough of like food and utilities. And I always went to, you know, well-funded schools with teachers who were there for the right reasons. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, and I used to think that that was going to be a real problem when I was trying to help people um in step 12 because I just um sometimes if people try to sit down and like compare their little I wouldn't say little um they're very big sad stories of their childhood you know who who had the more abuse um they might win right <laughs> and so um but that really hasn't been a, a problem because um the real problem is is me all the all the torture <laughs> that was coming was coming from my brain and so um I had a lot of problems growing up as far as um, just uh, uh, this is the story I was telling the other day. Um, I think I qualified for Al-Anon at a very young age. Um, I remember being about four years old um, going to this. It wasn't like it was like an extracurricular program that our local elementary school was running. And I just remember it was a very small group, but it was children of various ages, anywhere from like four to twelve. And I don't know really what we're doing, but I remember we talked about space exploration and all kinds of stuff. It was just some type of enrichment program. And I went and we were leaving. Um, this four-year-old boy was walking home alone. I was supposed to walk by myself to my preschool and he was supposed to walk 
to his house. And he had to cross a very busy street to get there. And I looked at that and thought, well, this little boy is too little to do this, right? Um, so I better walk him home or else something bad might happen to him. And I guess it was just, you know, it was back in the 80s and um, there just wasn't the oversight of children. So the, the, when the teacher just let us all go, I just decided I was in charge and I walked this little boy home um, to his house and kind of hand him over to his mother and, you know, gave her a look of disdain because she was an idiot for letting her son walk home by himself. Um, and then I crossed the busy street. The other four-year-old was too um, young in my mind to cross. And then I proceeded to walk over to my preschool. And by the time I got there, the preschool teacher was just sick with worry, right? Because all I was really supposed to do was leave my elementary school and walk over to my preschool. And um, uh, that was it, you know, but I was late one, right? I didn't, it was before the days of cell phones. I, you know, I didn't show up where I was supposed to. And when I got there and people were upset with me for not showing up, I blamed them. Right. And I was confident that I knew better than everybody else what was supposed to happen. Um, you know, the elementary school teacher and the mother of this child. And I assumed that I cared more. And also there was some arrogance there. Right. Because, you know, we're the same age, but yet I'm more capable than he is. Right. And also. I'm not asking anybody for help. I'm not telling anybody my fears, right? I'm just taking my matters into my own hands and trying to run the show, um, you know, and uh, not taking care of my own business, which was to keep myself safe, safe and to show up on time, right? But that's just kind of a really good example of me being thoroughly well-intentioned um, <laughs> and um, just, you know, wreaking havoc in everybody's lives. And so, um, that's if, if you need more qualifiers, you know, see me after the meeting, I'll be happy to tell you all kinds of crazy things that I did all in the name of saving people or just doing a better job because the people in the positions of authority were just, you know, idiots. Um, let's see here for a moment. Um, okay, so I, um, I have to tell you guys a little, I, I, there's not enough time to tell my whole life story and that's not what it's all about, but I did a lot of living before I got here um, and some of it's relevant. Um, you know, I realized this is a, a family group of Alcoholics Anonymous, so I try to keep it to that. Um, when I was 11 years old, my mom took me to Alateen um, because she knew that I was having struggles. Like there's things like that where I'm trying to save the whole world, but I'm not taking care of myself. Um, I have I just seem to wherever there is a like least functional human being in the room, I seem to be befriending them and bringing them into our lives. Right. Um, and part of that was uh, really healthy, functional people just scared me. Um, so it was one part like this person is struggling, so they're probably not going to reject me. And another part like this person clearly needs my help. So I'm going to help them. Right. Um, and it, at the time I would have told you that I was just too nice and I just had bad boundaries and people were always just taking advantage of me. Um, and I mean, I got a lot of self-help books uh, pushed at me at a young age. I was sent to counselors at a very young age. I'm not even kidding. They sent me to self-esteem camp. Um, you know, my parents are just throwing everything they can at this. I have this nice little eating disorder I'm working on. So I'm going to like Weight Watchers for Children. I'm going to counseling. Like I said, Alateen's self-esteem camp, right? I'm reading codependent no more. I'm, you know, all these things that they can think of to try and help me. Um, and really, I just it, it I just got worse, you know, and I, I don't know if any of this, you know, um, 
like I, I was sent to a, an eating disorder clinic and I basically kind of like sometimes people go in kind of low level street criminals in prison and they come out like hardened gangsters. That's kind of what happened. I went in there and I just learned how to be like a bigger, better, you know, eating disorder person. Um, and so um, this is, and I, at some point in all this, I, I'd have had, um, I'd have at least three suicide attempts, right? So, and basically what it just boiled down to is I knew on some level, the problem was me. And if I could just get rid of me, everything would be okay. Right. Um, and so that's, that's kind of my life. And, uh, it's, you know, I remember people saying to me, like, you just have to have better boundaries. So I'm trying to have better boundaries. I'm making daily affirmations in the mirror, or people would say, um, you know, you just have to want to want to be happy, or you teach people how to treat you. And I, I swear, I was really, really trying to be happy. I was really, really trying to be functional and trying to do what all these self-help books said. And it just, it really didn't work. Right. Um, and about my parents, um, this is about me. This isn't about them, but they, they absolutely qualified for their own fellowships. Um, knowing what I know about alcoholism now, it, it wasn't AA. Um, neither one of them were real alcoholics, right? My mom came from a long line of, uh, uh real alcoholics, but those two, they had their own isms, right? So, I mean, when I went to Alateen, it wasn't really, it wasn't literature based at all. It was just, kind of this hour we went in, we all kind of complained about our families, right? Um, so if anything, I just got sicker, um, very nice kids, but there was no solution going on in there. And uh, I had, I just didn't have a lot of experience with alcoholics because I was shielded from them. So I would just kind of sit there being like, I don't really know what we're doing here, but you know, this is where we're supposed to be, right? Um, and uh, I mean, this went on for a long, long time until um i was about 28 and uh this is the meaning of alcoholics or this is a meaning of the alanon so we're going to keep it that way but i discovered alcohol and it, the first the solution to alcoholism the family disease for me was alcohol and a lot of all that stuff just kind of went away right um the eating disorder didn't go like away but what happened was um i just i just drank I just um, starved myself during the week and then I ate whatever I wanted during the weekends and I worked out at the gym and the scale went down. So in my mind, the problem was solved. And um, a lot of things about alcohol, they just took, it took away a lot of fear and I was able to have quote unquote normal friendships. I was less concerned about helping people. Um, and so it was just, it was the solution to my codependency too, right? And I will tell you, even my mom, um, you know, she was happy about the change. And if that would have kept working, we would have kept doing it. Um, but I happen to be the lucky genetic winner and I'm an alcoholic. So, um, after a long time of that, not working, I wound up in a big book study and got through the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and that's totally, let me trust you. That's the abridged version. Right. <laughs> and so, um, I am working in the steps as outlined in the big book in AA and, um, everything started to go better. Right. Um, so, uh, obviously the drinking stopped, I found a solution to the eating disorder. Um, and very, very, very slowly I began to learn, um, how to, um, let God into my life and let God into my relationships. And very, very slowly, um, codependency started to slip away. And for the longest time, Anytime anyone would talk about attending Al-Anon meetings or reading any type of Al-Anon literature, um, I have a couple of friends on this call who had actually sent me Al-Anon literature and I would say, okay, thank you. And I would just put it on a shelf because my experience had been that Alateen meeting where we're, you know, basically just talking about our problems and 
um, living with um, a member of Al-Anon for so many years who wasn't actually um, doing any step work, um, which, which was a lot like living with a dry drunk. Um, and a lot of times um, she would quote Al-Anon literature to um, justify bad behavior. Um, and again, she's gone, uh, but uh, so I feel comfortable saying this. I also feel like I have her blessing because I remember one time she told me that Al-Anons, untreated Al-Anons were like dry drunks and that you could even make it, you could even make a, an argument that they were like sicker than alcoholics that were drinking. And at the time I just, I was so young. I was like 14. I was like, I'm just tired of your justifications for your bad behavior. Um, you know, she was either screaming or she was crying and I just had it in my head, you know, whatever you are doing in this fellowship is just clearly not working. Right. And so I just didn't, I just didn't really feel like there was anything that Elanon had to offer me. Um, and also, um, there's a part in the big book that talks about sometimes you can't see the beauty of the forest because of the ugliness of some of the trees. Like I've been approached to go to al meetings and this particular group, it was just a thing with them. They're like, you can come to our group, but we have this rule since you're an alcoholic, you can't really join. Um, you, you can't, you can't participate in the group conscience because that's what we decided only, um, people who are not allergic to alcohol and bound by ties of letter affection to alcoholics can vote. And I was just like, I am so sick of being treated like a second class citizen in my own family. I'm really not interested in, you know, joining any other group where that's going to be the case. Thanks for the offer, you know, and that's how it was. And um, I would say um, that uh, I'm so somber when I practiced, I was really joyous. Um, I would say, honestly, it was a smashing success. Um, when I first came into program, I like, my parents aren't talking to each other. Uh, they got divorced when I was about six months old. My brother's not talking to me, eating disorders off the track. I mean, my life is just in shambles, right? And so through just following the instructions in the family afterwards, not even following, like not even attending Al-Anon meetings, my family got from a place where um, my parents started speaking again. Um, my mom and my stepmom actually got to a place where they would go on vacation without my dad. Um, it wasn't unheard of for all four of us to... Um, like go to go to church together on a Sunday. Um, I don't know if I said this, but my bad, my dad went back to the church. Um, we all started spending holidays together. Um, my mom was diagnosed with cancer in 2019. And um, when she went into the hospital, uh, literally my dad and his girlfriend would show up every day, sometimes twice a day in order to see her. I mean, it, it was absolutely a program, a recovery success story, you know? Um, and, um, and when they died, uh, my dad unfortunately died about eight weeks after my mom. And I will just tell you deep thoughts by Mary works. I know they said it was a heart condition, but I think he just died of a broken heart. You know, we all, they just, at the end of the day, he just couldn't live without her. Right. And so, um, and I, if both of their funerals, I treated it just like I'm doing right now. I just, I prayed, I told God to speak for me. I got up and I spoke and it was like, I really felt like it was God was doing all the talking. I was a mouthpiece and I just sat back down. Right. And it was, I, I'm not, it wasn't me. who was talking. It was God was talking, but it was beautiful. When I eulogized my mother, it was beautiful. When my, I eulogized my father. It was beautiful. And I didn't say anything about the less than ideal childhood. Um, and just to give you a snapshot of that, you're like, well, what are you talking about? Right. So when I was in the first grade, I um, saw this movie, it was called Mommy Dearest, right? And I was watching it and I remember thinking like, that woman does a lot of stuff my mom does. And this movie is saying that that is abuse. 
and I have options. And I literally went to school the very next day and I told my first grade teacher, hey, I'm being abused. And she said, how do you even know that word? And I said, I saw a movie and it's, it's true. And they took me to the school counselor and I, I remember she was like, I don't see any bruises on you. And I was like, well, let me tell you all the other stuff she does. And I found out later as an adult, that woman agreed with me and actually called my father in um, and told him, like, you need to do something about this. Of course, nobody ever told me that. I was completely gaslighted. You know, they told me like DFS is going to take you away. There was a lot of beating of walls and hair pulling and, and all of that, you know, and just, just told like, no, you're wrong. Right. But I found out later as an adult, I, I wasn't wrong. <laughs> so. But when I shared, when I just did what the big book said, you know, I was able, I, I took care of my mother at her deathbed. I mean, it, it's an absolutely a success. And when I got up and I eulogized her, it was beautiful. Um, and I, I really would have just told you, hey, we're a program success story. And my role in Al-Anon is to come in as the alcoholic and, you know, explain things from the recovered alcoholic point of view. And I'm like, sometimes I get invited into Al-Anon and that's what I do. And I do my job and I leave. I explain the allergy. I explain the obsession. I explain that they can officially getting people like me sober off their to-do list and go have a life. Right. And then, and then I leave, you know, because my job is an AA. Um, and I, but I had actually started um, sponsoring Al-Anons because I'm a member. Uh, we talked about the eating disorder. It's, you know, I used the textbook to get some relief on that eating disorder. So I wound up in OA trying to help people. And one thing just led to another. And I started working um, with people in AA who are also in Al-Anon or people in OA who are also in Al-Anon. And one day they would just be like, oh, I don't really have any other sponsor. You're my, you're my only sponsor. Right. And, um, and I would get, I just noticed a theme with a lot of them. A lot of them, they would call up and I would just, we'd be doing the 10 step. And I would just be like, you know what? I'm just hearing so much control. I'm just, I'm hearing control. You're just, you're trying to control this. Or I'm just, you know, I'm just hearing a bunch of fear. I'm, there's just a bunch of fear here. And I, I noticed there was like a theme with Al-Anon's control and fear, right? Um, so my parents die and um, COVID happens and um, a couple other people died. 2019, I, I don't mean this, you know, no disrespectful. It was just a year of death for me. Right. Um, and, um, I'm just stuck in the angry part of grief. And suddenly I am so angry. I'm so angry at my mother and I'm so angry at my father and I'm so angry about my childhood. And I'm regretting that I even came back to St. Louis when I started living this way of life. And, and I don't know what to do other than just to throw myself the harder into helping people. Right. Um, I'm just rushing through this, but here we go. It's the way it is. I, um, I don't know what to do. So I am just hitting up all the meetings. We're all stuck in home. I am, you know, I remember at one point I got phone, six phone calls in two days of people who were, um, in, um, AA and OA asking me to take them through the steps. And I said, yes, to absolutely every single one of them, because it just tells us in the big book, um, we treat sex like we didn't another problem. I had a grief problem. And so I was just throwing myself into helping the still suffering alcoholic. Right. And I remember at one point, my friend who's a member of both fellowships, she took me aside and she said, you are working with newcomers. Like it's your job. You know, this is like a 40, 50 hour a week thing you are doing. Um, what are you trying to avoid? And I was like, I'm trying to avoid the anger that I have at my parents and the anger I have at my brother and my sister-in-law. And this is the only thing I know how to do. If something is very troublesome, I just throw myself the harder into helping others. And God is going to remove this problem in his time and his way, right? 
Um, <laughs> and unfortunately, I mean, it was working um, and that I was uh, sober, right? Uh, it wasn't working very well and that it was relieving anger. I actually got to a point where I was um, not answering my brother and my sister-in-law's phone calls because I couldn't control myself to not yell at them. Right. And I just, you know, argument and fault finding are to be avoided like the plague and love and tolerance of others is our code. And so basically non-communication was the best I could do at that time. I just, you know, I'm, I'm really, really trying very hard and I'm, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing my questions at night. I'm doing my step 11 in the morning. Um, but that's just, I'm just kind of stuck in the angry part of grief. Um, and while I was doing all of this, um, a, a woman that I sponsor who lives in Akron, who's a member of both fellowships, the one, the same one who asked me, you know, what are you avoiding? Um, I went to go spend a week with her and she has this routine. She does all these meetings. And so um, she, you know, I just, you know, I don't know if it's people pleasing or if it's just downright good politeness, but you know, she's got all these meetings she's doing and I don't want her to disrupt her routine because I'm there. So I just decide that I'm going to do all these meetings with her. And so I started attending um, some Al-Anon meetings and they weren't big book Al-Anon meetings. They were other literature and some of them were discussion meetings. And for me, that's very, very scary um, because I'm very comfortable with the big book format, right? I'm very comfortable where we come in, we're gonna treat this like a, a, a study, like school. We're gonna look up historical references. We're gonna look up um, definitions in the dictionary and it's all going to be about um, experience and knowledge. And we're gonna get out our highlighters and figure out what this really means. There's not gonna be a lot of like group therapy. If any of that starts up, generally the chair will, you know, politely try to get you to quit talking and they'll talk to you about it at the end of the meeting, right? And so I'm in these meetings where anything goes, um, and it's, you know, other literature. Um, and uh, what starts to happen is um, I'm trying to be present, trying to give these people respect. So I'm just writing everything down that is said. Um, and I just pray before I talk. And one of the things I started to notice was I just felt better. I just, I, you know, um, I'm walking away and I just, I feel better. I feel lighter. Right. Um, and I remember um, I, at some point, at least twice um, in my life at this point, I have gone through the steps, the quote unquote, Al-Anon way. Um, one sponsor I had in the beginning said, we really need to get you through the steps, through the perspective of an Al-Anon. Um, I was having a lot of trouble with um, with people I was trying to sponsor. Uh, like, for example, um, you know, they're drunk in their house and they don't want to quit drinking. And they called me up for a 12-step call. I get there and they have no desire to quit drinking you know they're right in the middle of the craving but they don't want to be alone and they're crying because they don't want to die and they're so lonely and they just want me to hold them <laughs> while they sit there and drink themselves to sleep right and you know codependent me is like oh god I remember that I remember how lonely that was I remember how scary that was and my brain is like, oh, you know, the problem is that when she went to detox, they gave her these meds. And so she's on these meds that are just alcohol and pill form. And that's why she can't get out of the craving. And so I need to start calling all the big book thumpers I know who will and who know about drugs too. And I'm going to call them and they're going to teach me how I am going to detox her properly in the morning. Right. And, um, I could not get anyone on the phone. I can't get anyone on the phone. None of, none of these big book thumper giants I know are answering the phone, right? And literally this woman, 
uh, who's also a member of both fellowships. She's, she, she, I'm not kidding. She bodily grabbed me and drugged me out of the house. <laughs> and she was like, you're going to kill her. The big book is very, very clear on this. We do not deal with them when they are very drunk. You know, you need to leave her alone. She needs to do what she needs to do. And so, um, at some point, you know, my sponsor was like, we're going to go through these steps in the point of view of the Al-Anon to help you because so, you know, you can better help these people. And just by doing that, um, and it was a really easy bar to clear. Okay. They kept step one really, really easy for me. They're like, are you able to control the alcoholic's reaction to alcohol? And I was like, no, it's like, okay, sounds like you're powerless over alcohol as someone who's tied by blood and affection to an alcoholic. Are you able to manage the alcoholic's decision to just not drink? And I would say, no, I can't do that. And they're like, well, it sounds like your life is unmanageable um, because you're tied to someone whose life is unmanageable because of um, their alcoholism. They just kept it real, real simple for me. Now I attend meetings where they'll talk about, I will talk for an hour about all the ways in which we're powerless over alcohol and implications of that and all the ways in which my life is unmanageable and the implications of that. But for, for the first several times that we ever went through any type of step work, they just kept it real easy. We're just going to do this little jump. Right. Um, and that was enough. And then, you know, do you hope what worked to solve your alcohol and your eating disorder problem can help you with these codependency issues? It's like, yes, I do. You know, are you going to, are you going to do this? Yes, I am. And then as far as the fourth, fifth, the fourth step and the fifth step, um, you know, we did it exactly the same way. Right. Um, that didn't change at all. Um, and, uh, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth, uh, 10th, 11th, all, all the same way. Right. Um, and so just by doing that alone, um, that same woman who I had to be literally dragged out of her house uh, a few weeks later, she called me and she said, you know, I'm I'm on the way to the hospital and I'm uh, I uh, I'm in I'm, I'm in a cab. I'm on the way to the hospital. I'm calling you to let you know so you can come see me. And she's like, could you call the hospital and tell them that I'm on my way? And I swear to you, I wanted to so bad. I was like, I wanted to be like, yes, yes, I will call them and I will meet you and I will be there and I'm going to grab you some brownies on the way, right? Like that's what I wanted to do. But I just, I just prayed and I said, you know, um, if you have, if you're, if you're able to call me, you're able to call them. Um, and I, and I, I just, I can't, I can't keep enabling you. I love you too much for that. So call me when you're ready for me to come see you in the hospital. And I will. And she told me, she said, and this is what she said, guys, I know we watch our mouths, but she said, do you know how bitchy that sounds? And to say something like that to me and for me not to say, oh no, I'm not a bitch. No, I no, I love you. I really want what's best for you to to not respond that way. (laughs) It's, I mean, don't, don't call me that. That's the worst thing you could ever, ever call me. Cause I don't want you to think I'm mean. I don't want you to think anything bad of me. I really, really want you to think highly of me, no matter who you are. (laughs) Um, and so, but I just said, you know, I, I understand, uh, you know, and I love you and I'll come see you in the hospital. And, um, I, you know, she, she, she was in a blackout. She didn't remember any of that. She woke up and, you know, was like, oh, sure. You know, what did I say? Do you hate me? And I was like, I didn't say anything. I'll see you in the hospital. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it was just an example of um, the, you know, all the Al-Anons that were trying to help me, they were right, you know? And when I quit, when I quit trying to coddle her as she has to get to a point of no return, you know, where she has to make a choice between death and accepting spiritual help. When I quit doing that, she actually got to that point, made a decision to accept spiritual help. And now, um, you know, she's sober. And literally, I can see now from trying to 
you know, hug her, cuddle her through this excruciating, painful process. I was just prolonging her torture. Um, and I thought that was a pretty good, like, result. You know, I thought like, hey, just, you know, doing the step work um, and hanging out in AA is like giving me pretty badass results. There's really no reason to go to Al-Anon. Um, but as I was attending the Al-Anon meetings and um, I was uh, getting all this relief, I started to become more open-minded uh, to possibly, you know, joining Al-Anon. And um, something happened and it, this is, I swear when I practice it all went better, but I, I, I've been praying all day, telling God to make a way and just come out, whatever comes out. Um, in the midst of all of this, um, <laughs> I always just say, like, I made a wrong turn somewhere. I'm really not sure what happened because I didn't meet him in the rooms of anything. I met him online. I somehow fell in love with an active alcoholic that never happened before I got into recovery. I just want to tell you, in my entire dating career up until recovery, never dated anyone with a drinking problem that I was aware of. Okay. There was only room for one, six person in the relationship. And that was me. So I don't know if it's karma or what, right. But so I wake up one day and I realize I am totally in love with this super handsome, super successful, hysterically funny, sweet guy. Right. But just like the big book says, every once in a while, this other dude shows up and he is just insane. Okay. He drinks insanely. He does insane things right before he drinks. He does insane things while he's drunk. And like literally at night, you're like, I'm laying in bed going, I'm, I'm going to have to end this. This is just getting too crazy. Right. And I don't, ha this isn't like familiar to me. This was not my childhood, right? My childhood was mommy dearest, not some drunk man. Um, and so I'm just like, I don't, I, you know, I gotta get out of this. And then like, I wake up the next morning and that sweet, handsome, really supportive, like pro women's rights dude is there making breakfast. It's really hard. Right. Because, and I just don't know what to do. And like, you've got this program where argument and fault finding are to be avoided like the plague, right? But you also have to be honest. And so you get into all these crazy situations. I remember one time I saw this um, Star Trek episode where there's this robot and one guy says, everything I say is a lie. And the second guy says, or the first guy says, everything that guy say is a lie. And the second guy says, everything I say is a lie. And the robot's like, doo, 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 tilt, you know? And that's kind of how it was, you know? Argument avoided, problem finding, or avoided like the plague. We don't try to control the alcoholics drinking. And I'm like, yeah, but this is crazy. This whole situation is crazy. You know, and my brain would just go tilt. And I would, I would call my protégés that I was uh, sponsoring in other fellowships who happened to be in Al-Anon. And I'd be like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know what to do. One of us is crazy and I'm not sure which one of us it is. Right. And so, um, uh, at some point, um, I did the steps through Al-Anon again. And my sponsor keeps saying like, you really need to go to six Al-Anon meetings. You really need to go to six Al-Anon meetings. And I'm like, yeah, I know you're 12 step in me. I know this is happening. And one day I just woke up and I was like, okay, let's do this. And I just, um, I had a really good friend um, in the fellowship and I just, um, this is a story um, that I don't have ever told, but I was in OA and I, this, um, this woman, I was leading a big book study and this woman like, Hey, I heard you on this big book study. And, um, I just, I just want what you have. Right. I found out later she had more time and program that I had been alive. 
right? And so it was such an ego stroke. It's like, oh, wow, I must be something, right? If this woman who has more time in program than I have been alive wants what I have, you know, I must really know the big book. And there was just kind of like that little four-year-old that was like, let me walk this four-year-old across the street. I was just like, well, step aside. Let me, let me show you how it's done. And I really, really, really believe that was just God's way of making sure that I hadn't a recovered Al-Anon close to me <laughs> as I was going to navigate life. Because what really happened is, of course, you know, I took her through the steps and all of that, but we really were just walking shoulder to shoulder together um, through life. And I, I learned, you know, it, at that point in life, she could have just sponsored me as easily as I was sponsoring her. Um, and in this point in life too, right. She's just a really good friend. So this really good friend that I call when I'm, I know that, you know, this is an Al Anon thing, right. Cause I'm dealing with a drunk man and I don't know what to do. Um, <clears throat> and I can't manage any decision I make about him or leaving him or anything like that. I, I, you know, I finally called her up and I was like, Hey, listen, um, I want like the real deal. I want like the healthy Al-Anons. I want the recovered Al-Anons. I know, you know, where they are, where, where am I going? Um, and she said, there's this, you know, big book study, um, on Wednesdays, you should, you should go there. And I just, I just did it. I just did it for the plunge. There was just no looking back. I had already done, you know, Al-Anon steps. I'd made amends in Al-Anon as much as I could. And I was working with Al-Anons and I just, I mean, literally I joined that day. I showed up, I put a, I put a repeat calendar. I put a repeat uh, meeting on my calendar and I, I set up my bank of America to start sending a check um, every month uh, for, um, you know, to be self-supporting through my own contribution. And I just went for it and went the plunge. And I'll tell you guys, it is terrifying. Okay. First of all, they have this weird format where you can only speak for three minutes. And I swear to you, like the first two or three times I had to be told to quit talking, I would get off the phone and immediately cry because I'm just not used to that. Right. And I took it so personally, like, oh, they're telling me to quit talking. I just like, I'd be like, I need to just stop all of this. Right. But it's just, it's just going through the uncomfortable process of learning something new. Right. And um, I think she was absolutely right. There's a lot of strong recovery in that group. Um, but like I'm a new Al-Anon, right? So sometimes when they're talking, it's kind of like watching someone like teach an upper level math class, or it's a, like listening to someone talking in a foreign language and you're not sure you're getting all of it. And I just keep writing things down to just keep looking at it. Um, an example of one of the things I, not in that meeting, but I heard in another meeting is this woman said, what's best for me is what's best for you. And I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense because our recovery depends on others and our constant needs. Like how, how is what best for me can be best for them? And I don't know, it's a God thing. I was like, okay, this woman clearly knows what she's talking about. So how's what's best for me, best for you? When I know what's best, you know, what's best is I think of others and their needs. And I thought, well, listen, if what's best for me, if she's saying it's what's best for me is what's best for you. And the big book is telling me what's best for you is what's best for me. It's kind of like a math equation, A equals B and B equals C, right? Our A equals B and B equals A. And there's always a plan that God has that's going to be best for the both of us. But I, and I was like, okay, that's where she's coming from. And I can absolutely reconcile that with the big book, but it's a lot like, I don't know. I've heard of equation like it's spiritual jujitsu or it's like next level math or something like that. I really do have to sit down and be like, okay, how could that be possible? Um, and sometimes I don't understand things at all. And I just say like, okay. I, I'm just gonna put that aside and uh, it may make sense in a couple of years, but for now, I'll just stay here and keep listening <laughs> to what everybody is saying. Um, and um, I will tell you uh, one time um, I was, I was really, 
and it's silly, it's ego because I'm not in charge of how all this works. I, I made a decision in step three and step seven, you know, to turn ev- all of me over to God and he can turn me into whoever he wants and he can remove character defect and resentment and mental illness and all of that in his way, in his time, however it suits his needs. But I really felt guilty about being so angry at these parents, you know, and I really felt like, how can you be doing this for over a decade and still have all these, you know, petty things going on? Um, and one of the women in my home group said, that she shared an experience with, you know, doing an inventory and then the next day just waking up so angry. And she called her sponsor and her sponsor said, well, God's getting ready to remove it. So it's coming up out of you. And so this is how it's going to be, right? It's, this is bubbling up to the surface. And I just got this tremendous amount of peace. I was like, oh, is that what's happening? Oh, thank God. I thought something was wrong, you know, and it, I swear, then I had the willingness to go and make amends to my parents. And I went to their grave sites and I read uh, the letter and I, I read, you know, I, I read it to my, um, my mother's actually buried in Mississippi. So I went and I read my, my letter to my mom and my, uh, sorry, my dad and my stepmom. And it was a whole new set of amends. It was, I'm sorry for blaming you for all of my character defects. I'm sorry for blaming you for all the things I didn't accomplish in life. I'm sorry for never viewing you as a sick soul and never thinking about all the ways in which I was prolonging your torture by, um, by enabling you. And I'm sorry that I, I'm sorry for all the times I gossiped about you and your mental illness to other people. And I'm, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I just, I, 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 cause it was always about how inconvenient and how embarrassing all their issues were. Right. It was never about that. This is a sick person who's suffering. I I never thought truly about their happiness. It was always this complicated uh, system of checks and balances um, in order to like make people um, endeared to me. Right. Um, And uh, I just literally the I, when I prayed and I meditated at my dad's grave site, you know, the thought I have was, um, the intuitive thought I had was, you know, you need to be less judgy, Mary. Um, you need to enjoy your life more and you need to come back here every two weeks, um, for more fatherly advice. (laughs) And so I do, you know, I go with my coffee and my notebook and I sit next to his grave and I'm just like, hi dad. And I say hi to my stepmom. Um, I've had multiple stepmoms. So just to clarify, I do have a stepmom that's still living, but I, I had a stepmom who had died previously. Um, so my dad is his ashes were uh, divided. Um, and so uh, one part of his ashes are with that woman, right? Uh, part of his ashes are with my mother in Mississippi and part of his ashes will be buried with this other woman uh, that's still alive. So when, just to explain, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, that's a beautiful example of like silly things my brain goes through when I was dealing with all this grief. I'm like, this is such BS. There's all these women, you know, and like, you know, like all three of them have told me that dad will see him in heaven. Right. And I was like, how is that impossible? How's he going to be with three different women in heaven? What are we going to have big love up in heaven? And then I just had this thought of, you know, God can transcend time and space. Who's to say God can't work it out that your dad gets to be happy with these women in heaven and that they get to each feel like they have them all to himself. I was like, who am I? You know, God created 
everything. You think he can't work something like this out, you know? And it's like, is it even any of your business? You know, like it's, it is just so freeing, you know? And, um, so, uh, my life now, um, another big stumbling block that I had, um, about all of this is that, um, I, I, when I got, this isn't an AA meeting, so I'm not talking about any of that, but, um, I had some difficulties getting sober. And when I finally did, it was this big book thumper group, uh, down in Dallas. And, um, and I had the utmost respect for them. And so there was a lot of, I guess, just kind of cultural norms that came out of that group. And, it's getting really dark in my house. Um, and one of the things that they've kind of recommended was, hey, don't don't participate um, in more than two fellowships. And so I was trying to respect that. And because um, I'm a member of AA, but um, OA is where I find a lot of alcoholics to help. I really didn't want to do anything um, to mess that up. And so I had a lot of fears of like, well, if I go to Al-Anon, then I got to give up OA and how's that all going to work? And so I would just, just not go because I was trying to live upon this like two fellowship rule. Right. And now I'm just into a point where I'm like, you know what? God's going to work it all out. I don't know how many fellowships I will ultimately be a member of. I don't know what the future holds and I don't need to know that now. I just know, um, obviously you know, what I am. And I know that I am getting a lot of growth in being an Al-Anon and it's eerie because, um, uh, just, just the other day I was calling my sponsor, who's um, a member of Al-Anon and I was telling her something. I was worried about doing all this. And cause I was like, how am I going to explain step one? I just listened to this big step one conversation and nobody talked about any of that when I first went through the steps and, you know, maybe I should call these people up and tell them, I, I really can't do this because I'm not like, I, I wouldn't lead a foundation meeting on step one at this exact moment. And she's like, well, Mary, they didn't ask you for a foundation meeting on step one. They asked you for your story. So just show up and give them that. And I was like, okay. Um, but uh, she did pull out some other literature, um, which she told me to buy and read. Um, and it wasn't the big book. And she starts telling me all these things that um, people, uh, you know, Al-Anon's just reading it. And it's like someone wrote a story about my childhood and about all of the issues I have with control, um, and fear. And, um, uh, and it's, and I just was really hung up on the fact that I, I didn't really ever discover like the joys of living with an active alcoholic until I had been sober and in recovery for several years. So I was like, well, how do I, how's that going to work? Right. Because I have all this baggage from my childhood, um, but I never grew up with an active alcoholic. I grew up with, um, you know, an adult child of an alcoholic. And it was more just one of those things like, just, just don't worry about that. There are long lasting effects of um, alcoholism. And it's not like it's going to get resolved in one generation, um, especially if that generation um, doesn't get the help that they need. Um, and so that's an example of um, I'm just letting God lead the way. Um, and I'm, I'm learning a whole lot. Right. Um, and so let me just pray here and see if there's anything else to say. What I was like, um, codependent, what happened? I got drunk. I got out of control. I got in recovery. I got in grief. And then I got to Al-Anon. That's what happened. Um, what am I like now? Um, I'm a baby Al-Anon, right? And the more I learn, the less I know. Um, but I do know um, 
that no matter who I'm trying to help, that the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous is the purest 12-step document. Um, and it, no matter what the problem, if it's a spiritual nature, the solution is always going to be in that in that document, right? So, you know, my, my very first meeting of Al-Anon, um, because I had been through the steps with an Al-Anon sponsor, they said, if you're available for sponsorship, raise your hand. And I did, right? Because I knew that if this was going to work, I had to be willing to work with others. And I really wanted it to work. And I knew I knew how to take someone through the steps, right? And um, as far as all that other literature, it tells me in step 11 to start reading other literature. And it just took me a really long time to like absorb that, right? And so I'm okay with reading other literature because it's gonna make me a more effective practitioner of the program. And then it tells me at the end of the book on page 164 that um, I know only a little. So I can know the entire big book and I still only know a very little amount. And so when I go to big book studies, no matter what fellowship I am, I am sticking to that big book and I am sticking to, um, you know, the, the newcomer, right? So if I'm an Al-Anon, it's all about trying to help the person who's tied by blood or affection to the alcoholic. If I'm an AA, um, it, it's all about trying to, to help the alcoholic, right? Um, if, if a family member wanders into an AA group, I follow the instructions to try and help them, right? Um, and in OA, the same thing. I'm trying to help the compulsive eater. Um, and what that comes around to is now this beautiful, um, opportunity to listen to a group conscience. Whereas before I would have just gone in and said whatever I wanted, um, wherever I wanted. Now it it's literally, you come in, it's a different format or if it's a different book or if it's a different group, um, you know, there's a couple of things. One, there's an opportunity to just be quiet and learn, right? The other thing is that I can really say, okay, you guys had a group consciousness, right? Which means God spoke through you and you all you all voted on this. What did God tell you to do? What did God say we were supposed to read? How did God say we were supposed to share about it? Um, and then I can either listen or um, I can listen and then try to participate. And I will tell you, um, so far, I have never, ever been able to share in an Al-Anon meeting without having a high level of anxiety. And every time I get off the phone and I call someone to do the 10 step to say, I'm just in fear. I think I'm always going to be in fear for the rest of my life. Every time I ever share in an Al-Anon meeting. Right. And they tell me when one of two things, like this is the consistent feedback I get. Oh, good. You are in fear. You realize you don't know everything. You're in humility. Good for you. You're, you're ready to learn something. Or they say, um, if you're fearful and not resentful, you're two thirds of the way of getting healthy. <laughs> and that's what they say. Um, and so I'm just going to pray again and see if there's anything I need to say. Um, thank you so much for letting me share. Um, I'm really glad we have the newcomers. Um, and, uh, I, I think with Leanne, I, uh, I hope you got something out of this. It was kind of all over the place and Evelyn, um, and Jackie, I'm glad you're here too. Um, uh, my story, uh, may not be conventional. Um, but I will tell you, um, I do qualify for membership in Al-Anon because I am absolutely tied by blood and affection um, to my partner. Um, he's an active alcoholic. And also, um, I've, I've lost count of all of my you know, alcoholic friends, and I'm, I'm absolutely bound to them. And I find that 
when I don't do what the big book says in dealing with alcoholics, whether they're active, whether they're dry, whether they're in recovery, I wind up being abusive to them and miserable myself. And when I study with the family and friends of alcoholics, the people who love alcoholics, just as much as I love alcoholics, I get a series of small freedoms and I treat the alcoholics better, whether they are cooperating with me or not. Um, things like uh, something will happen and I'll think to myself, oh, I don't need to say anything about that. That's just me trying to control what they say and what they think. And I don't need to do that. I can take that off of my to-do list, right? Um, I, can, I can say things like, um, I love you and I would love to see you. Um, but if you want to party tonight, it's probably better that you stay at your own house because we're going to get to bed at like 830 tonight, you know, and that's a gift of the program. It doesn't have to turn into we need to break up speech, right? It's just I'll see you later. Tonight's not a good night. Um, and of course, I can say things like um, if you can call me, you can call the hospital. And that is all something that I would not be able to do without other Fan, um, friends and families of alcoholics who are studying this way of life um, to just give me practical advice and encouragement. Um, because it sounds so funny. It sounds so self-deprecating. Really seriously, you know, um, living in community with alcoholics left to my own devices is, um, it's, it's impossible. It's an overwhelming task I can't do on my own. And my brain tells me that I should be able to do it on my own. If I were just smarter, um, if I was just better somehow, I would be able to, but I can't. I absolutely need um, the basic text and the fellowship of Al-Anon. Thanks for letting me tell my story. All right, thank you so much, Mary. Let's all unmute and give her a big round of applause. Hey, Mary. Hey. Good job. Great job. Great job. Um, and uh, we do actually have about, um, you know, five, seven minutes before we have to start closing up. We do want to remind everybody in the chat, there is our passing the basket information. And um, you can uh, contribute to our meeting. And we really appreciate it. We hope you've had a good hour here listening to Mary's experience, strength, and hope. I know I have. And um, one thing that um, that you said, Mary, I'll, I'll just kind of start off the sharing is, um, you know, when you when you talked about, um, uh, you know, reading in the big book um, and and using that as your basic text, it really really um, touched my heart because um, that's the way I do the steps, and. Um, and I love that it's the solution. But what I really love is because sometimes I can get into that like high horse of, well, you know, the big book has it all. I loved when you talked about step 11 and at the end of the, uh, at the end of the text, it says that, you know, only a little. And so I just, I'm blown away by your level of humbleness and going into another program and knowing, you know, not having that automatic, like, yeah, y'all don't know what you're talking about kind of stuff going on. I really felt that and that you learned and um, gosh, I mean, you just, you've already been rocketed into that next dimension. I mean, if, you know, AA is the fourth dimension, maybe we're the fifth dimension, I don't know. But <laughs> anyway, um, I really appreciate that. And I always have to remember that I'm a three time Al-Anon retread. So when I came in here my third time, I thought I kind of knew 
the deal. And I had to really humble myself, change that date of my sanity um, when I signed in and, um, and take a new look at it. So thank you so much, Mary. Do you have anyone else who wants to share? you can just, I think I allowed everybody to unmute. If you can't, let me know. I can share just really quickly. Go ahead, Rodney. Mary, thank you so much for what you shared tonight. I'm just gonna be celebrating in February a year of recovery. 